You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The word of the Lord. Got to put on my eyes, so. Ah, there you are. Hey, John. <laughs> he was waving at me. Oh, that's great. There's a few more of us here today. Welcome. It's good to see you guys in person and not with a screen in between us. Wonderful. We are continuing in our series called Heart Check. And this is a series for those of you who are just here for the first time or tuning in for the first time online. Uh, that it's how we, are need, we need to check our hearts. We need, as followers of Jesus, to evaluate our hearts at that level because that's really what God is concerned about, is at our heart level. He, he, it doesn't matter what we have done or what we're going to do, He's really looking at our heart. And I forgot my clicker, so I'm going to shut this off. feedback when I went to go get it. Yeah. Um, it's God is concerned about our hearts, and that's right from the very beginning until the end of time. He's the most concerned about where your heart is, and so we'll be talking about that. We have been talking about that with uh, different sinful habits that we are struggle with as followers of Christ until we are t- fully transformed into the likeness of Christ. Today, we focus on the sinful habit of lust, and And we need a heart check on this uh, at this level because we all deal with lust in one way or another through our thoughts or through our actions. And usually those are very tied together. So I want to introduce just a a few fictional people that are kind of uh, struggling with lust in different ways to kind of give us a context of what we're talking about. Unfortunately, in our country, lust often is referred to sex or sexual desire. So we're going to be focusing a lot on that today, mostly on that. So let me introduce you to Tim, who is 17. And in ways, he doesn't recognize, uh, he's already been trained to view women as objects whose value is attached to their physical beauty and their body shape. And then there's Sandra who's 34, and her definition of fashionable clothes is those that are designed to reveal her body. Her clothes tend to be tight, short, often low-cut, and Sandra is a follower of Jesus and considers herself to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And then there's this young girl who's 13, and the thing she can't stop thinking about and talking about with her friends is her impending breast development. Because, as she thinks, uh, being a woman is all about breast size. And then there's Ralph, who's married with three kids. Uh, He seems to have a good marriage, but he masturbates every day, at least once a day. And his wife doesn't know, but he's done it for years. 
And then there is uh, this, if you, I don't know if you know, on the website, on our internet, in our society, there's these websites that actually people who want to be unfaithful to their spouse can connect with others who want to do the same. Uh, and it's become uh, so popular in the, our action that people, who, uh, people text uh, sexually explicit pictures to one another. So often and popular now is it do, happening is that there's a new word in our modern-day vocabulary called, oh, it always helps if I, uh, sexting. It's now in our vocabulary today. And internet pornography is uh, a huge industry. It's, uh, they estimate conservatively about $15 billion a year. But we don't know because it's, a lot of it's privately owned. So some estimates go up to like $50 billion a year worldwide. It's just not known for sure. Sex is powerful. And it influences us in our wider society. And it also has a lot of influence over us personally uh, in our private lives. And why is that? Well, it's when we, when that which is created by the Lord God replaces the Creator Himself, then it becomes an object that we pursue that we call an idol. It replaces God Himself. And God created all these things in our reality to be beautiful, and they are. But when we look at them as if they themselves will bring satisfaction and meaning to our life, then they become damaging to us because they become an idol instead of us looking to God for true satisfaction. So today our focus is on our sinful lust, uh, of our sinful habit of lust, which doesn't necessarily mean sex, we'll get into that later, but in the main ways we think of it, it does focus on sexual desires. And the odd thing is that while sex is a common topic we find in society in general, like at school or work or on our media or in advertisements or even sports and those things, it often, uh, well, not often, it's rarely talked about at home with our parents and our families or in our church family at church. Well, we're breaking that <laughs> mode today. Um, the two places that it should be safe to talk about our, our lust or our sexual lusts, it should be at home with our families or in the church family. But we rarely do talk about it there. And I believe this is the case because we are buying into how the world defines sex, which is in conflict to how God has created it and the purpose for sex. Well, Jesus, God the Son, God in flesh, taught about sex as part of this Sermon on the Mount, which is, uh, as we mentioned last week, from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And our text today is nestled right in Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. And so Jesus here, right in the beginning, establishes that there is such a thing as lust, which, you know, we pretty much know. Um, but look at verses 27 and 28 which says, you have heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's interesting that President Jimmy Carter, some of you may 
remember him or have heard of him. This is what he looks like. Uh, he's still alive. During his term in office as the President of the United States, at one point he said with sincerity and openness that he sometimes struggles with lust. And for the next three months, it was interesting, after he stated that, you know, everything the president says, he didn't tweet that, you know, he just said it, and it got repeated and repeated. Uh, Saturday Night Live made fun of him for three months following that about what he said that he was struggling with lust. And, and even more sophisticated people uh, responded saying, oh, come on, grow up. Uh, we've struggled with lust, but we've grown up. We have it under control. And, uh, but Jesus in our text is saying really, oh, are you? You think you're in control? Now, the, hum the humbling truth is that when it comes to sex, we don't have a problem with sex. Sex is not the evil in our world at all. We don't have an environmental problem as if our surroundings uh, cause us difficulty. No, uh, we are the problem. Sex is not the problem. You are the problem. I am the problem. That's our problem. Um, and in a sense, the reality is that it's only ever the evil that is within us that kind of magnetizes us to the evil that is outside us. It's like we are pulled to connect together because of that evil within us, our sinfulness uh, that we continue to struggle with and have a problem. And we can run try to run from it, we can try to move to a different location, we can change jobs, whatever, but the problem's still there because that problem is us. <laughs> we can't run away from ourselves. And so we need to be rescued from this problem. And praise God, our rescuer is the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we follow and can give us by His Spirit that dwells within us by faith, healing and be able to have victory over our ongoing struggle with sinful lust. So, Jesus, the one who is willing and who is able and who is wise, can do this for us and meet our needs. You see, sex is not the problem. We are, and we have a low, a very low view of sex if we buy into the world's uh, definition and teaching about sex. Matthew chapter 5 has a very high view of sex. And, matter of fact, the whole Bible has a high view of sex. Did you know that there's one whole book in the Bible that is a description of uh, prolonged lovemaking between a husband and wife? Did you know that? It's the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. And for example, in one passage in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 of the Song of Solomon, the husband says to the wife, your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I will climb the palm tree and take hold of the fruit. This is a description of the husband wanting, uh, imagining fondling his wife's breasts. And then we move to chapter 5, verse 14, where the wife describes her husband saying, His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. Beautiful. But uh, to explain this verse, I want to use uh, an Old Testament scholar that's respected, Tremper Longman III. I'm just going to read what he comments on this verse. He says, The word 
ivory is in Hebrew tooth or tusk and connotes a tusk-like appearance. The most likely referent for the girl's description here is the man's penis, like a polished tusk. So the wife's description here is of her husband's erect penis. I mean, talk about shameless, just talk about and rejoicing in sex that the, the scriptures show. A high view of sex. Sex is not the problem. We are the problem. That's the first thing we have to admit. We have a problem, and that problem is lust. Jesus said, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Remember, he brings these things, these commands, down to the heart level, or I should say up to the heart level. Christ is saying that our behavior is more directed by what's inside us than the stuff that we deal with outside us. That is our heart, because God cares most about our hearts. He's saying that sexual struggles are inescapable struggles of our heart. And listen what Jesus taught in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 and 23. He says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Just restate it. We are the problem. Or more specifically, our hearts are the problem. It's the struggle of lust in our hearts that lead us to sexual sin. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus stated the sexual ethic of not to commit adultery. But then he expanded it to show God's view of sex in verse 28. Verse, chapter 5, verse 28. And notice how he expanded it beyond the marriage relationship. When he said, everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful heart. Everyone, not just husband or wife. And by the way, this also applies to women who look at men with a lustful heart. So don't think you're off the hook here. Everyone who looks lustfully at another commits this adultery in our hearts. Wow. And the original Greek word translated as lust does not in itself refer to a sexual desire. No, it doesn't. Uh, there are only two out of 62 times out of the whole New Testament that this word is used in the original writing of Greek um, that it refers to sex, and this text is one of them. Um, lust can refer to our sexual desire when it is in respect to a woman or a man, but so lust is not just sexual desire. Uh, then what is it in general if it's not just to sex, referring to sex like we often think of it in our country? Um, the Greek word for lust, it literally means an over-desire, an inordinate desire, an idolatrous desire. That's what the word lust means. And the main problem of our heart is not so much the desires we have for, quote, bad things, it's the over-desire that we have for good things, like sex. 
Sex is a good, beautiful, amazing thing created by the Lord God himself. But if we have an over, an idolatrous desire, it becomes sin because we have now focused on what God has created rather than the creator God himself. It's an over desire and our lives will be damaged. And that's what Jesus means in verses 29 and 30 in our text when he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better than you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Well, this is hyperbole here. He doesn't actually mean that we should be gouging our eyes out and cutting off our hands. But he means you better take this very seriously. Very seriously. Jesus used the Greek word here for hell uh, the Greek word is Gehenna. And usually I don't bring this out, but actually I do here because Gehenna was an actual place that Jesus was referring to in that first century where he was speaking to his people. It was a place right outside the city of Jerusalem, the walls outside of the city of Jerusalem, in the valley of Hinnom. And that's where they would burn their garbage and throw the dead bodies of slaughtered animals or sacrificed animals that was the leftovers everything on this one place is disgusting place and that was the image that jesus painted here was that it would be better for us to rid ourselves of whatever was causing or stimulating us to lust and to sin than to let it continue and destroy us completely so we must be aware of our lustfulness toward things and especially toward others. For example, an uh, uh, example from my own life. Um, years ago when I was uh, serving in another church, uh, it was quite a while ago, um, I, had began, I had begun playing tennis with a group of people. Uh, it was one other guy uh, and two other ladies. Uh, it wasn't, May wasn't part of that, you know, she would have a hard time playing tennis. So, uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I, the other guy, uh, there was three of us, three of the four of us were married, um, uh, and one of the ladies was single. And it was a great time. And we, it, because we played doubles, and it was close in competition, it was usually, you know, split up the guy, so it was guy, girl, guy, girl. And sometimes we'd mix up, you know, the partners. And it was a lot of fun because we were so close. We'd, uh, the games were off, often close, and so it was, you know, fun, and I'm competitive, so it drew me in that way. And so we enjoyed it. But after some time, May began to sense something different in me, uh, on, especially on the nights we played tennis. And she noticed that the, these nights of tennis, this once a week playing tennis, became more and more important to me. So if anything in my schedule uh, was threatening to change this night or make me not be able to play, uh, I'd get upset. And I'd get more upset as time went on. And uh, I, I remember one night particularly, uh, May was arguing, well, she, I was arguing with May. She was sharing her feelings with me about, she, she didn't know um, what it was, but, and even how to really clearly articulate it to me, but she was concerned for me because something was wrong. And unnatural, it was unnatural about me playing tennis with these others. She couldn't put a finger on it though. And one thing that I learned about my wife, May, after now almost 30 years being with her, uh, is that she has this spiritual gift of discernment. 
She can see and sense when there's something wrong leading me away from Christ. And so, um, so we, I start arguing with her and saying, what's going on? I'm just playing tennis. What's the big deal? And, and then as we, the, you know, the tension grew, um, something hit me. I think it was something May said. She challenged me. And it was basically, why am I so upset about this? Why is this so important to me? And so when I thought of that, I thought, yeah, why, why can't I just let this go if it's just harmlessly playing tennis? Why can't I give this up? And uh, so I did. I stopped. And then a few months later, we learned that the other guy and one of the ladies, the married lady, were having a, an affair. They had begun having an affair. And May had sensed in me some, something of an over-desire that didn't seem to match with what we were doing. And she brought it up to me. And I thank God for May because she helped me cut this off out of my life. Otherwise, I could have, if I think back, would have led me to burn and just have destruction in my life and maybe even still feel the repercussions of that today. So thank God for that. So we, we know that lust is not specifically a sexual desire, but in general, an inordinate desire, an idolatrous desire, it seems just out of place, especially if we're followers of the Lord God and of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand what God created sex for in order to kind of move our way from ridding ourselves of this sexual lust in our lives. It's so prevalent today. So to do this, we got to think of what God created sex for, and, and we can look back when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden and their relationship is described in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And it says there that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So here we see that sex is an integrative act as a body and soul with another body and soul, another person. And sex is the complete giving of oneself to another, physically and emotionally and spiritually. In the context of a lifelong commitment or covenant of marriage. And it is the image, really, of an openness and vulnerability that God desires to have with you and me on that level of the soul where he wants that intimacy with you and me and so sex is like a signpost that points to the Creator in this way. And we can experience this relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. So how can we be healed of our sexual lust? Well, healing comes when we see that sex is an act of worship. That changes everything, if you think about it. Any sexual activity that you and I participate in is to be an act of worship of the Lord God himself. True worship of God determines what happens in our sexual life. And in fact, even the most non-religious person uh, expresses worship every time they are participating in some sexual activity. Um, this expression of worship uh, could be mental or physical, a physical act. In sex, we are always worshiping something. 
This is, remember, uh, it should be an act of worship to the Lord God, but we are worshiping something. It could be the Lord God himself, if we're being faithful, or it could be our worship of ourself, or it could be worship of our partner with whom we're having the sexual act, or it could be just worship of my gratification of my needs, what I can get out of this that I want. And, and what this means is that in the sexual act, we are surrendering our hearts to another in worship in some way. Sex is an act of worship. And there's only one person that completely loves you and me and is able to do that, and that is Jesus, our creator, our redeemer. He designed and created you exactly the way you are, and he knows you and thinks you're beautiful because he's your designer and creator, and he's the only one who can love us truly. And so sex is a signpost, as I said, to God, points to God, but the problem is with us, and I, I was thinking of this when I used to have cats, and you know, cats are pretty smart, but they're also pretty dumb in some ways. And so when I would point to my cats, I'd say, hey, Mitty, look over there. Do you think my cat would like look where I'm pointing? No. He would look at my finger and then come over and, and sniff my finger. He never looked to where I was pointing. And it's like that. We are the same way that we often look at sex itself and replace the God creator rather than realizing sex just points to our Lord God, Creator, and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Jesus described himself as our bridegroom in the Scriptures, which means he wants to be intimate with you and me, very intimate, and he finds us beautiful until Jesus is the lover of our soul, there will be this emptiness in our lives. For example, Masturbation is not and cannot be an integrative act with another person because it is a solo activity. And it cannot be done as a worship, an act of worship of God. It is done for purely personal pleasure and self-gratification. It is done out of sexual lust. Another example is sex outside the marriage covenant relationship. It is a very low view of sex and done as a, a worship of something else or someone else rather than the Lord God. So it cannot be done as an act of worship of the Lord Creator Himself. It is done, therefore, out of sexual lust. And when we lust, we make something an idol and we pursue it. And we pursue it in a way that we are willing to break the commands of the Creator God in order to get that, whatever idol it is. And, and it may be in a relationship, or it may just be intimacy that we are pursuing, or sexual pleasure, or we could broaden it to entertainment, or food, or achievements, or whatever it, it is. So the question today is, what do you lust for? When you think of yourself. Sexual intimacy? Maybe more time on this awesome video game. I just wish I had more time to play this thing. Um, maybe it's just having the highest quality and expensive stuff in our lives. What do we lust after? Jesus is our only hope to be free of the lust in our lives. Our faith in him as Lord and Savior is what frees us of this sinful habit of lust uh, because he is the rescuer. He is the one that satisfies us 
when we invite him to be the lover of our soul. And as followers of Jesus, here are some things that we can do to help us free us of the habit of lust. I wanted to leave some practical things that we can think of to do to help. Um, first is we need to assess our needs. Like we need to answer that question. What, is, uh, what are we lusting after and why? Um, are we trying to fill an emptiness in our life with something less than God himself, like with uh, something he created? So it's like Romans 15, 13 encourages us to say, and the Apostle Paul writes there, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God wants uh, to have this intimate relationship with you and me and that by faith, but especially every day, every moment of the day. He wants that intimacy, and he's able to fill this emptiness in our souls if we are willing and able to invite him and draw close to him as the Lord God. The more we draw toward the presence of God in our life, the less we will be dominated by our lustful desires. And therefore, that leads to the second thing, is to draw close to God. And the, one of the most important things you and I can do to do this is a daily habit of spending time with God or investing time with our Lord God in reading His Word and in prayer. And, and by doing that, uh, by prayer, for, as you say, it refocuses our mind on the Lord God Himself. It, it, like, reboots us. So it's great to start every day with prayer because it's like a reboot. You got your rest, you're rebooted, and when we do that, we become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and conviction through our every day stuff of life. And when we read daily his word, then God's truth and his character and his ways become more familiar to us in time because we are becoming more familiar with him and his ways and his truths and his teachings and his commands and his heart. Just like spending time with each other. We get to know each other over time. It's not like one shot, I know you. No, it's over time. And when we do this with God every day, we become stronger to say no to the temptations when they come. And another way to draw close to God is by spending time with others who also have this desire to cl draw close to God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, ask ourselves, though, do my Christian friends, uh, when we gather together, do, we ever, do they ever ask to pray for you? Or do they ever share with you the things they're learning in God's word? Or is there conversations ever like that when you get together with your brothers and sisters? Or is it more just focused on, hey, let's get to know each other and have fun, you know, which is fine. But if our gatherings only are for that and never really, Christ never really enters into the conversations of our lives just naturally, then our focus is actually replaced. We're replacing the reason why we're getting together not based on our identity in Christ, but just more like, I just want to feel good by getting together. And, and we've replaced the Lord God. And it, getting together is not encouraging us in Christ then. It's more just encouraging, making me feel good. But how are we worshiping God then in our gatherings as brothers and sisters in Christ or just even with people that are not brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we worship Him in all our doings? So, that's the first. It's to assess our needs, to draw close to God, and then lastly, we see is to avoid obvious areas of temptation. This is the cutting off the hand, gouging out of the eye kind of thing. Um, in other words, 
don't feed our lust because it will grow and it'll get hungrier and hungrier if you keep feeding it. So we are going to decide to get rid of the things that are tempting us in life. So if we are tempted, for example, to view pornography, then get some accountability software, put it on all your devices, even including your phone, to stop you from looking and being tempted to view pornography. Do something about it, right? Cut it out. Likewise, be careful about what we watch on YouTube or what we see on Netflix or any streaming service or, or what we read because that's another source of temptation if we read stuff that stimulates our desire and lust for whatever it is, especially our sexual lust. Get rid of the sources of stimulation in our home and our work that provoke our lust. And ask ourselves, again, if our friends that we hang out with, if that, they lead us and provoke us to lust by the things we do or the conversations we have or the jokes we joke about or whatever it is, stop doing those things. Assess our lives. Get rid of them. So assess our needs. Draw close to God. Avoid the areas of temptation, the, uh, the obvious areas. And these are three things that we can do to start experiencing the transforming work of the Spirit of God within us. A verse that helps me walk with Jesus in all that I do in my everyday stuff of life, and I've said it almost in multiple sermons, but this is why, is because it's a verse I've memorized because it's, I want to recall it when I need it, that truth, and it's Colossians 3.17. And it goes, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything. And do it as an act of worship. May and I counsel couples. We say in that wedding night when they first are going to have sex for the first time, you know, Lord willing, unless they haven't, but, you know, their first time, we say, pray, give God glory before you do this wonderful, beautiful thing together in the way that he has designed it. It's an act of worship. Let's pray together. Lord God, you're an amazing God because everything you've created is for us to enjoy and enjoy with, with, with joy and fun and excitement and beauty. And so, Lord, we, we pray that we would be free to do and enjoy everything that you've created. But, Lord, we pray that we can do so in honor of you as our creator and our redeemer, our forgiver, our savior. And to do this in worship of you, in submission to you as King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe, and not and putting ourselves aside and not making ourselves or our own desires idols in place of you. We can't do this on our own, Lord. It's not self-help. We know it's only Christ's help that will help us free us of this. We ask this in the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ. Amen.